where we're talking about the idea of strengths and weaknesses when we go for interviews and that will be brought up again when we go and talk about interviews, right? Yeah, and we're talking about uh, group discussions. Again, we have this idea of this idea of strength, weaknesses, opportunities and uh, uh, threats, right? Are something that is important, right? Uh, when we're talking about threats, uh, it's not about the human being, uh, the individual human being anymore, but we're talking about the organization and what are the threats of an organization, right? So normally threats are what you call rival companies, right? And to call them threats is a bad idea. I don't. That's why I don't have a bit of. I have a bit of a problem with this word strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? Yeah, because is a rival company a threat, right? And that is to narrow a kind of a business uh, uh, kind of point of view, right? Because if you're talking about uh, a company which is a rival company, right, as a threat, then uh, that's a very sad kind of uh, way of operation, you know? Because when you say that, uh, like you have ABB in Baroda, right, the company I worked in, right, uh, it was called, it was GE, yeah. Uh, GE Electrical, right, which is an international company, right, and uh, uh, of course, what was interesting is the rivals for ABB, which has, which is here in Baroda, in Makarpura, and that's again uh, a kind of a, a rival company, right? Yeah, and they manufacture things like uh, uh, these uh, porcelain things, which you put on top of the electric pole, right? Yeah, so that there is no short circuit, it's what you call an insulator, right? So they manufacture, those are some of the things that they manufacture, right? Yeah, so what happens over here is, when we're talking about strengths, weaknesses, threats and opportunities, right? We are, we are talking, when you're talking about threats, yeah? Uh, threats in the last, right? Uh, something more positive is required and the word threat itself is a problem, right? Because once you consider somebody a threat, then that means you're very insecure, right? And all of you who are psychology students will uh, appreciate that. And that's an understanding that we have when we're talking about the individual and we're talking about any organization. When you see a threat, and all of you who are political science students will also have a huge problem with the idea of threat, right? Our kind of understanding of nationalism, which we have this very narrow, uh, backward kind of understanding of nationalism, which we have today, is based on threat, right? Yeah, the prime minister of the country is being threatened. It's a, it, you, the threat might be real or the threat might be fake, right? So when you talk about a threat, right? If you're talking about an individual, right? Yeah, and I'm keeping shuffling, uh, shuffling from the individual to the organization. When we talk about an individual and we talk about a threat, that means when we talk about an individual, uh, when you say I'm threatened, right? Yeah, and please remember this, don't forget it, because we'll have to come back, and I think I talked about it last time, right? When our space is threatened, right? When our job is threatened, 
right? When somebody comes onto my space, okay, and uh, says something to me, right? My position is threatened, right? If a student tells me, look, uh, whatever you're talking is rubbish, which a lot of students do, right? And I'm not threatened by that, right? Because if I'm talking rubbish, I am talking rubbish, right? Yeah, and if I'm talking rubbish, uh, and somebody corrects me, I will be thankful to them, right? So if I'm going to be threatened by that, then there's something really problematic, right? Or if somebody comes up with an American or a British accent to my literature class or even any other class, right? Yeah, should I feel threatened, right? If your accent is better than mine, right? And many people have these problems, right? So uh, at the personal level, there are a lot of problems about threats, right? And all the psychology students will know that uh, uh, this is others kind of uh, analysis, right? We're talking about the threatened kind of position that a child has, right? When another child is born, right? Yeah, so the idea is I'm the center of all attention and some another child is born and then you immediately say, well, uh, that's a threat and uh, little children can't uh, or perhaps don't have that kind of capacity to understand that it's not a threat at all, right? Yeah, so that's what uh, is very important to think about because when we're talking about threats, uh, the word threat itself means that there's something wrong with you, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening to our nation, right? We're threatened by Pakistan, we're threatened by Nepal, we're threatened by China, we're threatened by the coronavirus, we're threatened by all these things, okay? And if you have a country which is so threatened, right, then what happens to the strength of the country? Yeah? So when you talk about strengths, you have to think about the threats, right? And the threats, okay, so you are, what is interesting about this idea of the SWOT analysis is when you talk about the strengths, we talk about the opportunities and when we talk about the weaknesses, we talk about threats, right? Yeah, so uh, it's just about strength and weaknesses, but the organization is talking about threats, right? And threat is a kind of an extreme weakness of an organization, right? But you have to take note of it by the SWOT analysis, right? Because what is threatening your company or what is threatening the growth of your company, right? Now you might have internal threats and external threats, right? Like you have in the so-called nation uh, that we have, right? Of course, uh, we believe in what the Beatles proposed that uh, John Lennon in his imagine, right? Suppose you have no nation. Suppose you have no country. Suppose you have no religion, right? Yeah, and all, all these things are just abolished, right? Uh, won't people be able to live in peace? Right? So that's an idea. How can you look at people living in peace? Right? Now, uh, so that's where the SWOT analysis is problematic because the problem, the problem with the SWOT analysis is how can you look at somebody as a threat? Yeah? A child is looking at a, the child looks at the, the sibling as a threat. And that's called sibling rivalry in psychology. Right? Yeah, so when we're talking about threats, what are threats, right? Sibling rivalry is a threat, right? Uh, if some, and uh, what we have in a post-capitalist world is if somebody has a better car than I have, 
then that person becomes a threat to me, right? And this is something very negative actually, right? A threat, it's not a threat really, right? But this is how capitalism and advertising pose themselves, right? Uh, if, if you find that somebody has a better car or a better house or more money or a better position, then that person uh, actually is a threat to you, right? Yeah, uh, and that's, that's some kind of weird capitalist logic which we've all adopted because we're living in a post-capitalist world, right? Now, how do we get rid of this thing? I don't know, right? Because all of us uh, have to, are in this kind of a world and this is the framework of our world, right? Of course, the most important thing is that the coronavirus has unsettled all the threats, right? And you can't even fight the coronavirus, which is a real threat, right? Yeah, and it's not imagined like uh, one of my political science students and friends uh, keeps telling me that, look, you're supporting an imaginary thing, a virus which we can't see, right? So that, of course, is another story, right? But the question is, uh, when you're talking about a threat, uh, I don't like the word threat. I'm sorry, I just don't like the word threat. And I don't like the idea that anybody can be a threat, right? Because it means that there's something wrong with me if I think of you as a threat, right? But when you say that this is a threat, okay, I think what is important is that we have to look inward, right? When the Congress is a threat to the BJP or the BJP is a threat to the Congress, right? Or any other party, right? Yeah, uh, whichever party you have, Amadmi party or this one or that one or the other, or one religion threatens another religion or is supposed to be a threat to another religion. That's what our premise of uh, Hindutva is built on, that all these people are coming and they are a threat to our religion, right? Now, if your religion is so strong, if your country is so strong, if your uh, nation is so strong, if you are so strong, how do you get threatened at all? Yeah, so that's a, a very important thing to think about, right? And we're talking about the business model and working in a business atmosphere, right? So the question is, uh, the threat actually has to be, where am I lacking, right? The threat is actually associated with a weakness, right? Uh, and as we know, when, uh, when we say that we are better than other people, right? That's an old psychological game, right? We are actually, uh, we are probably weaker than them, right? So all this, mine is better than yours. This is a capitalist game that is played out in advertisements, in uh, the business world, right? And uh, we have that on channels, we have that in politics, we have all these things all over the place, right? So who becomes a threat? What is a real threat and what is an imagined threat? I think that's the direction we must take because when we're talking about SWOT analysis, you might imagine that somebody is a threat, right? Yeah, and what would you put down as a threat, right? Somebody uh, who doesn't do work or somebody who works, right? And if other people work, right, uh, then they're not threats anymore, right? Like for instance, I think yesterday somebody brought up this thing about Imran Khan and Pakistan and India, right? So I said, well, uh, you can't compare it, right? Because what happens in India is, we had a stable nation for more than 70 years, which is now, of course, uh, 
we don't know where it's going, right? Yeah, the, the stability of the internal stability and external stability is really threatened, right? And the internal stability is threatened by the people in power. We all know that. That's an old story, right? Yeah, and when you look at Pakistan, they've always not had any kind of uh, internal unity, right? They've always had bad governments, right? All those kind of things have kept going on, right? So, if you're going to compare and you say, well, look at their Prime Minister and our Prime Minister and both of them are equally, uh, that's, that's the argument that was given to me, right? Uh, both of them are actually right-wing uh, monomaniacs and all that kind of thing. I said, you can't even say that, right? Because we've had our stability for a long period of time, right? And what's happening today is sad and terrible because everything is in trouble, right? The economy is in trouble, the education policy is in trouble, the state, the Supreme Courts have been destabilized, the institutions have been destabilized, and these are institutions which have stood for so many years, right? Pakistan never had them, right? Yeah? So you, you just look at that and you see what hap what is happening with the person in Pakistan, right? And he used to walk a tight rope be uh, between being a secular-minded person, right, and having extreme fundamentalist over there, right? Yeah, so I don't know if you can even compare them, right? So when you're talking about a threat, we're talking about a comparison, and I go back to my uh, discipline called literature, though this is an interdisciplinary uh, organization uh, kind of uh, subject, right? So Shakespeare says, comparisons are odious, right? And what is important about this is, when you, care, you compare, it stinks, right? Odious is stinking, right? Yeah, so you went, when we make comparisons, that's a terrible thing, right? Now, if your SWOT analysis is, the, if the SWOT analysis is based on an honest, that's what we said with all, when we talk about a SWOT, SWOT analysis, we're talking about a kind of an honest evaluation, self and other, right? So that's what is important, and we're talking about the self and the other, right? So whether it's a company, or it's whether I'm a worker or individual, right? And we're talking about the comparison between the two. And what we have is, you have the idea of the rival company, right? Yeah, and you have also rivals, and you, that's why you have sibling rivalry, right? So I'm better, you're better, who's getting more, who's getting less, right? So that's the premise on which it's based, right? So I would think, when we talk about threats, that's a very infantile kind of way of going about things and all the people in the psychology department would understand what we're talking about, right? Yeah, and even otherwise, you know that a little brother is born or a little sister is born and there's a whole idea of, I am not the center of the family anymore, I used to be the center of the family, that's if there's only one child, but even if the second and the third and the fourth child come and a new child comes in, right? then a, a lot of stabilities are automatically uh, changed, right? You might like to read this book called Who Moved My Cheese, right? Now, when we're talking about that at, at the individual level, right? We're talking about something called an organizational chart, right? And an organizational chart is actually talking about the idea of uh, who and what is the hierarchy of your organization. Right? So, uh, how do you get into this post? Right? And this is something 
that we'll come back again when we get into the group discussions, right? Because what we do when we talk about an organizational chart, we are actually talking about what's the hierarchy of your company, right? Yeah, and we have to know the hierarchy of the company, right? Because we normally have a problem when a new person comes into the organization, right? And especially in India, that's even more of a problem and sometimes a threat, right? I'm not talking about the government, right? Because uh, in the IS of uh, thing, it's normally by promotion, right? And internal exams, right? Uh, all that kind of thing, right? But India has not had a good track record. Maybe the bureaucracy is okay, but of course we've got the idea of gift giving, uh, we've got the idea of sucking up to somebody, right? All those kind of things which we do all the time, right? And that's how our institutions have been uh, demoralized in many ways, and especially because this government has been fiddling with the appointments of judges and all those kind of things, which you all know, these are all out in the papers, there's nothing new, right? Yeah, and even in the past, maybe they did that, right? So that's a very, very serious flaw, right? So when we're talking about a threat, we're talking about individuals as threats at one level, we're talking about an institutional threat that's a rival institution, right? So the individual threat is when somebody is appointed and the person is not good enough, right? Yeah, so that's a threat that might affect you when you get into an organization, right? You might be better than somebody else, you might have the skills, right? And in spite of that, uh, this is India, of course, right? People are appointed, right? Uh, wrongly, right? And this happens in the private industry and in the uh, right? Now, at least in the private industry, they're supposed to go by the principles of business, right? And they're supposed to say, and of course, what's happening today in the government is they're having the lateral entry system that by which the idea of merit, the idea of uh, efficiency, all those things are done away with, right? Yeah, because you can have bureaucrats who are the friends of a politician who are put inside, right? And this is a downgrading of an institution that has existed for a long time, which is an internal threat, right? Yeah, so the idea is how do you deal with that, right? Yeah, because the highest lawmakers in the land are actually doing all these things, right? Saying that they're going to get competition into the industry, right? And that's what also something that we have in our university, right? We have a person who's from a private university on our Senate, or was maybe in the last Senate or something like that, and somebody raised an objection, right? So when a private university is on your Senate, isn't that a threat, right? This is basic business logic, right? Yeah. So the the private uh, person can. Uh, support an argument or support something which is actually detrimental to your own university, right? Yeah. So that's one of the ways of looking at it. Yeah. And you also have when you talk about uh, international uh, organizations, right? You have some countries which actually have a person from another country to be their prime minister, right? Yeah. And uh, that's how they enhance the kind of their own country, right? So when you have all those kind of things, that means you're not frightened or you're not threatened by anybody else, right? Now, since this is a interdisciplinary course, we must talk about translation and the idea of threat, right? 
Now, when by culture, we are talking about a threat as far as culture is concerned, as far as nation is concerned, as far as organization is concerned, and we are looking at the idea of threats and what exactly the threat, right? Now, you find that when you talk about translation studies, we are talking about which are the cultures which translate the most into their language, right? And it, Italy is one of the countries which gets trans has all the works of literature translated into their own language, right? In India, it's Kerala and Bengal, right? So you have, and the question is, if I'm threatened by your culture, then I won't translate, right? So that's the argument, right? And the, the idea is, how much more translations can I have into my own culture to make it richer, right? So we're talking about this because we ask students and it's not limited to only a business kind of model which is there but we have to understand the idea of what is a threat right so when i am not threatened by your language like the british and the french have this problem about language and which is a better or a more sophisticated language or more cultured language and of course everybody agrees that french is right and uh, the french of course are not bothered right Okay, the English are always a little shaky uh, after 1066, that's when the Normans or the French conquered England and for 200 years they had uh, French rule, right? Yeah, and of course we know that 60% or more of our vocabulary in the English language comes from French, right? Now, uh, we have a similar thing in India, right? And about the same time, that's in 1994, when the English say, we don't want to have any French words on our shops, right? Yeah, now what do you do, right? So that's a big issue, right? And the French responded with saying, we don't want any English words on our shops, right? We had that in Maharashtra some time ago, right? Where uh, the Shiv Sena says, well, every shop should have uh, the signboard at least every shop will have a signboard painted in Marathi, right? So we have English version, Marathi version, and maybe Hindi version. So some are Hindi Marathi, but you have to have Marathi over there, right? Yeah, and they have the same problem with Urdu and Hindi, right? Yeah, so these are threatened, right? So when we are looking at ourselves, we have a lot of very threatened people, right? And probably these threatened, these threatened people are creating unreal threats which are so is the real threat real or is the threat not real yeah so the the argument over here is when we are talking about an organization we have to examine whether the threat is real or imagined right and that's a very serious problem right so like for instance you had one of these channels the other day saying well there's a threat on the prime minister's life right now that i mean how can you say that, right? Yeah, and do you have proof? And is it a real threat, right? And if it's a real threat, you have to find evidence for it, right? If you, if it's not a real threat, that means it's a hoax, right? I hope uh, some of you have seen this movie called Bombay Merijan, yeah? And it's actually Bombay Merijan, right? Yeah, so it's actually about uh, post the, the, the blast in Bombay, the, the train blast, right? where people have to live with this idea of insecurity, 
all the time, right? And you have to travel about, right? And if you can't travel about by the local trains, then what's go what's going to happen is you're going to suffer very badly because you can't go on doing your work, right? So that's uh, when you actually confront a threat and put it in its place, right? So the question is, can somebody's language be a threat, right? And the more I'm threatened, and I think that I will remove Urdu, right? How do you remove the Urdu words of any language, right? India has been trying to do that for a long time, right? Yeah, and Urdu is probably the only really Indian language which is born in India, right? Yeah, and of a clash of different languages, right? As a linguist, or some of your linguistic students, you'll be able to understand that, right? Yeah, and then how do we, through our culture, are we, are we so frightened about somebody else's culture, and aren't we a great Indian culture, which uh, absorbs other cultures, right, and moves on with it, right? So these are things that we have to think about, because these are the, uh, the crisis that we face again and again, especially from uh, the politicians who are trying to be nationalist or pretend to be nationalist and are non-nationalist, if they're real nationalist, why do they, why do they have uh, all the cars, why do they use mobiles, why do, they, why do they use western clothes, right, why do they do all those kind of things, right, and that's a critique that we have to have about our threats, whether we're talking about the country, which is an organization, right, or whether we're talking about a business organization, right, or we talk about an educational institution, or we talk about any kind of venture that you have, right? And even at the personal level, when you feel threatened, right? Many of us don't admit it, right? And if the SWOT analysis has any point of worth, right? The idea is, well, let's admit that we are threatened, right? That's how we begin, right? And that's why the SWOT analysis is important, right? For reflection on ourselves, right? So it's uh, the organization that's together. We have to reflect together. Actually, that's what India as a country and as a nation needs to think about, right? What are we threatened about, right? Are we threatened by somebody else's culture, right? Which we've actually gained from, right? And I'm specifically talking about Islam, right? And how much of the Islamic culture has uh, been incorporated into India, into the language, right? Like for instance, can we take out the Arabic and uh, uh, Persian words from the language or the rhythms of all these uh, different languages which have affected Indian languages, right? So that's very difficult to do, right? Can we take out all the English words from all our local languages, right? What is the word for computer, right? Yeah, we, we have to think about all these things because uh, in many languages, unthinking people, I remember this was a big debate when I was an English student, I came from a maths department where it was almost the de uh, regular, everybody would say, uh, we have to learn English and we have to know our English properly, right? Yeah, and then in the English department there was a big debate about this, right? And uh, people said, well, we have to speak pure English, right? And uh, there were, I studied in Maharashtra and one of the students says, well, the problem today is people do not know English and do not know Marathi, right? And uh, the teacher, of course, was a very good teacher. She had studied in Edinburgh. Uh, she had done stylistics, MSc stylistics in Edinburgh. So she says, well, but as a Maharashtrian, I don't think 
that uh, more, more words from a foreign language will uh, diminish the status of my language, right? Because a more, the more translations you have into your language, the more words you have of foreign origin into your language, that becomes uh, richer as a language, right? It's not talking about the purity of a language, but it's talking about the richness of a language, right? So, of course, I don't stand with the government because their policies and their ideologies are really uh, against what I stand for, right? And uh, definitely, I don't stand for the idea of being threatened by somebody else's language and somebody else's culture, right? Because I think the Indian culture is far richer and far superior to stand up to all these kind of little threats, right? Yeah, so that, that idea of a threat itself means that there is a sickness, right? And when the whole nation thinks, well, we are threatened, we are threatened, and yeah, the majority uh, of the nation is threatened by a minority, right? Yeah, and when you have a majority government, the majority government is threatened by a minority, and that's that's totally illogical, irrational, and there's a kind of sickness about it, right? Yeah, uh, and I think uh, that's where I stand, uh, and I'm taking it from the idea of a threat. When we look at a threat as maybe real, maybe not real, right? And this is what you call an imaginary threat, right? Yeah, the Muslims are coming, the Muslims are coming. I mean, what are they going to do, right? It's like one of my uh, cousins is a, is a lawyer in the Supreme Court, right? And uh, she was constantly telling uh, an aunt of mine from the UK, her own aunt, right? Which is my aunt also, right? From the UK, and she said, look, uh, the country is going to dogs because of the Muslims and the Dalits. I said, how can the minorities ruin your country, right? Yeah, and that's the idea of education too, right? Yeah, when we talk about education, right, and uh, I think it's on one panel, I actually saw this on one of the talks, right, where a, where a Dalit person says, who has ruined the education system in India? It's the upper classes, upper caste and upper classes, right? Because we've been in a dominant position for so many years. Uh, for so much of time, right? And you say the Dalits have ruined education. How can they? They're in a minority. Hardly any of them are there, right? Yeah, 3%. The Brahmins in India are 3% of the population, right? And they have about more than, more than uh, uh, the average kind of jobs in all the universities and all the institutions, right? Yeah, so it's not only the Brahmins, but all the upper caste people. Right? Yeah? So, how can we blame all the lower caste people? How can we blame the Muslims which are very, a very small minority? Right? So, all these questions is, why are these a threat? Right? And is there something wrong with you? Or are they really a threat? Right? And when you look at it, they are not a threat at all. Because they are actually contributing, when we are talking about from the economic students, right? Uh, a lot of them are contributing to the eco economy of your country. And they've done so for more than 70 years, right? Yeah. And if you talk about places like Kerala, uh, a lot of these people go to the Gulf and they come back with a lot of foreign exchange, right? Yeah. But they're not given this kind of an NRI tag, which other people are given, right? And you begin to wonder why, right? They're getting so much of money into the country, they're priming up your economy, and you say that they don't come, right? So I think. That's uh, interesting as a point, right? Where are we actually going, right? If we are threatened by, and this is at a national level, right? So we have a spot analysis and say, well, these are the threats that we have, right? And we say, what? 
what's the threat over there, right? Yeah, so what's interesting is, and I think we, we need to talk about this because there's a, a TV channel the other day, since we are into, uh, we're talking about advertising, we're talking about all the threats, right? Who, who talks about, uh, what's this called? UPSC Jihad or something like that, right? Which is absolutely obnoxious, right? Because the idea is, you to act, that means you say that the UPSC is based on rubbish, right? The people who are getting into the UPSC are rubbish, right? That means you don't even trust your own kind of uh, checks and balances, which is something that the, uh, any institution has to have, right? Yeah? So if you have, uh, and now actually these are the people who are a threat to anything, right? To the functioning of the whole system, and they're not looked at as being a threat, right? Now that's exactly when your SWOT analysis has to play up, right? Which something might not look like a threat is actually a threat, right? Now that's a threat to your whole system because actually telling you, well, this is how it works, and I don't trust your system, right? And they're doing these things, which is a false kind of a threat, right? So we have to. When we're talking about threats, what are the false threats? Right? What are the false threats that we have in our institution, in our organization, or anything? Right? Yeah. Whether somebody's language is threatening you, or someone's position is threatening you, it means that something is wrong with you. Right? But it might be a real threat. Right? In an organization, it might be a real threat. In as much as this, these people are producing so much of stuff. Right? And they're better than us. Now, is that a threat? Right? By the logic of capitalism, you should compete with somebody else. Right? But the capitalist system also says that this person is a threat. Because the SWOT analysis comes from there. Right? Yeah? So, if I actually go and see what exactly is happening over there. Right? And maybe the other person's product is better than yours. Right? Now, is there room for all that kind of honesty at all in a business world? Right? And if you're really into an honest business, you would actually say that, well, these are things that they're doing, right? And we are not doing, right? And if you really take the trouble to do all that, then your product might be better, right? Yeah, whatever you make, your product might, you might actually have, uh, uh, actually work in a way that you produce better, right? Yeah, so we're talking about organizations, uh, you might like to read a book, uh, somebody asked me for material, uh, you might like to read a book called Who Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? Right? Yeah? I don't remember the author's name, but it's not a difficult book to find. You'll get it on the road also, and that's a very popular book. Right? So, the idea is, what happens in the workplace? Right? What happens in an organization when somebody comes and takes away a position that you thought that you would get, right? Yeah, so that's an organizational problem and that has to be dealt with, right? So how does the organization deal with it, right? So uh, if you have a disgruntled worker in your organization, that means the organization is going to suffer, not uh, only in the present, but maybe in the future also, right? Yeah, because uh, this is what we learn from psychology, right? That if there is a person, uh, this is what individually, if I'm unhappy, right? Yeah, then slowly the unhappiness spreads 
to everything that I do, right? And in an organization, if there's one person who's disgruntled, right, that disgruntlement gets into the work attitude and into everything else, right? I'm not talking about our universities because in the universities they do things that are absolutely horrible where uh, without logic and without reason, uh, with, a, with just political clout, right, people are appointed in certain places and everybody can see that, right, and I'm, I'm not talking about that at all and you can see our university, you can see all the universities in the country and you can see that there is uh, this idea of this what analysis will actually be uh, effective and when you can see somebody illegally appointed, right, yeah, and everybody can see that, right? It's not uh, one or two people can see it, right? What happens to the person who becomes the victim of that kind of uh, issue, right? Because we're talking about uh, India 30 years, 40 years, 50 years from now, right? And if this is what's happening today, right? You have people illegally appointed in certain positions, right? Yeah. And uh, they go against all the recommendations of the UGC, all uh, of the uh, the constitution of the universities, all those kind of things, right? And we know that they're happening. And the only way out is go to court, which uh, some people uh, might like to do, right? But most people who are sensible would say, well, uh, it's going to be not worth it, right? Yeah. So the only uh, recourse is not the university, which actually should be the university, right? Because it actually should actually solve their own problems if they've got a good HR, right? Yeah, uh, so that's that's a problem, but that's exactly where the HR comes in. And when somebody feels that they've not got a position and another person is coming in, it's the HR's job to inform them that this is why we've taken this person and this is the kind of qualification that the person has, right? And uh, this is the experience that the person has, and that's why uh, we are getting him on this position, which is a higher position, or this position that you might have uh, come in for, right? Uh, well, we could, couldn't give it to you, though we thought of you, right? And we thought that you might be uh, the best person from our organization, but we have to get somebody else from another organization, right? Yeah? So, uh, these are, this is what you call organizational, uh, uh, organizational behavior, Right? And we're talking about the organization of institutions, right? So the hierarchical chart, right? Yeah, so that's something that you have to have. And you have to understand what are the position of people, right? And what are the qualifications? And qualifications also mean work experience and all those kind of things which go into uh, giving a person a job, right? Now you can't give a person uh, who's not uh, yeah, Oracle 2, Oracle 8, or whatever that is. Right? You get somebody who doesn't know anything about Oracle and put them in an Oracle job and the whole organization will begin to wonder what's going on. Right? The next step of course is this is how threats work. Right? Yeah? And people don't look at all those threats. Right? So if you have somebody who's totally not qualified right, and is put into the job, then what happens uh, is that after some time other people say, well, it's better to get out of this place than stay in it. Right? Yeah, and uh, slowly find good people li leaving your organization, right? Yeah, so that's something that's very sad, right? So this is a threat which is, uh, and threats have to be looked at, right? So if you're an organizational board, right, and seeing how, uh, whom to induct into your team, right, which you will get 
during an interview, right, you'll find that these are the people who should be in and these are the needs of the organization, right? And though we have these people, they are not good enough. So we have to get other people in, right? And we have to inform these people that we're getting these people in for the simple reason that uh, they're more qualified, right? Or they have skills that other people don't have, right? They have a lot of work experience, right? All those kind of things. You have to get it uh, to all the people and especially the position, person who might feel that his position or her position is being taken away, right? I hope I'm very clear about that, right? Uh, when the, of course, in an organize, in a private organization, you can't really go to court, right, and say that, well, uh, I've been denied this. All you can do is just leave the organization and go away, right? And uh, that's that's absolutely bad from a kind of HR perspective because you have to keep the workers in the organization, not for anything, because of something that Ricardo was talking about in economics when we are talking about time and money, right? The organization does a lot for uh, an employee, right? Uh, no matter what the level is, right? And uh, if you stay in the organization, you cost the organization in uh, in this uh, in terms of what you call uh, work experience, right? You take time to learn a job, you learn something at the job, right? Yeah, uh, all those kind of things uh, are not looked at. Right? Perhaps, right? For many people, right? But the organization is looking at it, right? Because uh, you have you take at least two one month or two months or three months to fit into the job. Right? Yeah, now you learn how to put up with people. That's important. That's a social skill, a soft skill, all those kind of things. You learn to put up with people, you learn to deal with them, all those kind of things are important, right? Yeah. And then the next thing is you also learn uh, maybe some language, right? Like, or, I'm not talking about a verbal language, I'm talking about something like Dreamweaver or Lisp or something else that the organization is using, right? Yeah, and you learn all that. Or you learn accountancy, you learn all these other things that you have, and slowly your skills are advanced, right? And that's why when you get out of an organization and you are, your uh, work experience comes, right? Because actually working and you actually come to know the problems, uh, uh, the issues, right? Problems, of course, today is a bad word, right? And SWOT analysis actually uh, deal with this idea of problems. We call them issues, right? What is the issue over here, right? So we're talking about the issue and we're talking about how the issue is going to affect the organization, right? So when you are on a job, you learn a lot of skills. Uh, not only that, it's also about learning to live with other people, learning to work as a team, okay? These are important things, right? Which we will be taking up in a group discussion, in the group discussions, right? And I hope we have more people for the group discussions. And could you all kindly join teams, right? Uh, because that would be more easy for us to operate with, right? Yeah, uh, and people can uh, actually do a group discussion online, right? Uh, I've put all the names down, but uh, people are still having problems with teams and if everybody doesn't have a problem and it's just a very few people then I think we can move to teams, right? I'm sorry about the digital divide and all this kind of nonsense that is around and I just hope we open up uh, so that we can actually have good discussions live, right? Because 
I don't like this idea of group discussions on the uh, on the net, right? But we actually need. Uh, I think by the end of September, we'll open up and we can do something over there, right? Yeah. So the idea of a threat, right, is something. Therefore, that uh, is very important for us, right? Because how does a person look like a threat to an organization, right? The person comes in with a certain amount of skills. Right, and it's the organization which puts them in, right? And uh, the organization also has to check the weakness, uh, the weaknesses of people involved, right? Like for instance, you have to know uh, where a person has a weakness. All those kind of things, organizations have to be look, uh, have to look into, right? Now, of course, stealing and dishonesty, right? These are normally. Uh, no organization will tolerate, right? So if you, yeah, and for whatever reasons, uh, as people who are studying literature and people who study psychology, we know that human beings have a lot of compulsions, especially in a post-globalized world and a post-capitalist world, right? You have to feed your family, you have to do all these things. Somebody might rob something, right? Now you can't do that in an organization. You can't do that wherever you work. Right? So that's basic. Uh, this is something that is basic. Right? And you can't be dishonest. You can't say, uh, I worked for so many hours right? and uh, you actually haven't. Right? Because uh, somebody will keep a record. Right? So these are what we call checks and balances. Right? So uh, that's something else that is important. Right? So when an organization employs you, they will also have a background check. Why did you leave the organization before, right? So that you don't become a threat to the organization, but you become an asset to the organization, right? You're not really talking about opportunities, we come to that, right? Yeah, so you become an asset to the organization. And please remember that any kind of work experience after your graduation is counted as work experience, right? Some of the other, it's very unfair, right, that uh, uh, that when we're talking about an organization, right? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, the people who have work experience before graduation that is not counted at all, right? And I find that very unfair because uh, work experience you actually learn a lot of things when you work, no matter what the work experience is, right? And all those years of work experience are actually thrown into the gutter, right? Uh, and they don't even consider it, especially when you go to join the NBA, right? Uh, some institutions like IM Bangalore at one point of time uh, actually thought about the idea of work experience, right? Yeah, and they find that if you don't have work experience, you're not allowed, uh, they don't prefer you, not, not allowed, but uh, the, the cap is open for everybody, right? But uh, you have Asian School of German, uh, of Management and all those kind of places where it's compulsory that you have two years of post-graduate work experience, right? Now that becomes a very important thing, right? Because, and of course, I was also listening to a BBC uh, um, program. Yeah, BBC ha used to have these programs when they first started in India and the, the, uh, the what's it called? The channel TV just started, right? BBC used to have this whole India channel, right? I don't know whether they do that now. I must must find out. 
and that was a very interesting and uh, very informative kind uh, and very insightful kind of a program which uh, they actually interviewed a lot of people from the IIMs, right? And uh, uh, some of them said, well, when you see a person who comes with a work experience background and you get an MBA who comes without a work experience background, right? You immediately can make the, out the difference because the person who has actually worked uh, actually can uh, identify an issue and solve an issue or solve a problem very easily because of the work experience, right? So work experience counts, right? And I think we all know what empiricism is, right? That is, we're talking about experience and how does your mind uh, uh, systematize that experience and incorporate it into yourself, right? Yeah, so we're talking about, and what do you learn out of that, right? Whether you're learning to play a piece of wood or learning a language, right? So what happens to you when you learn a language, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, the book that I said is Who Moved My Cheese, right? Who Moved My Cheese, right? So that's for Lippy. Uh, yeah, Who Moved My Cheese is a very important book that you can read, yeah? And it's about human behavior, right? Uh, yeah, and psychology, human behavior, that's one, right? But what's important for us is when we're talking about work experience, how do I understand what I do? What are the shortfalls that I have, right? Uh, if you play a musical instrument, if you paint, right? We all have learned some languages, right? And we've all been part of the world, right? You've experienced things from the world. All of us have ridden cycles or bicycles or uh, uh, motorcycles or scooters and cars and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. And most of us know how to use mobiles, right? And what you call smartphones. And we have all these computer skills and all those kind of things, right? Now the question is, what do you learn in the process, right? Now that's something which is called, which uh, uh, you talk about empiricism, right? Yeah. So uh, out of the dealing with this kind of work, you learn certain things, and that becomes a practice, and you observe certain things, right? Now. When we talk about human beings, and many of you are psychology students, right? And all of us have access to language. We all know languages, right? Yeah. So what is interesting about that is, what is the observation about a language, right? What That's what we do in grammar. Are we observing the language, right? Can we, uh, what are the difficulties we have in the language? Okay, what are the problems we have? So the question is, when you talk about SWOT analysis, we're talking about how do you experience language? Yeah, how do you experience the world, right? Now, if if I have uh, polio maybe, or I have one leg shorter than the other, my way of experiencing the world is different from yours, right? Yeah, so when we're talking about that, that's where work experience comes in, right? So if I've had uh, tougher people, uh, or I've had a tougher life than you've had, right? Yeah, then uh, my way of looking at the world is different, right? Yeah, and uh, that's uh, the difference has to be understood and given weight, right? Yeah, so if I come from maybe a Dalit background or Muslim background from today, uh, in, in today's world, 
the Muslim background also is very important because they're victimized and they are kept out of the, the pale of society and the very, very marginalized people, right? So what happens if I'm a marginalized person, right? What can I contribute, right? Because being marginalized itself is not a problem. If I think about it, right, and I reflect on it, can I change the organization or can I change the world, right? And definitely you have experienced all that and you've thought about it, right? So the idea of experience and reflecting on the experience, and I think I talked about Vikram Sarabhai who said, pure experience is nothing, right? Yeah, so I, I, would, I would stand by that because we're just talking about pure experience, right? So unless you reflect on your experience, uh, that's no use, right? And the arts course is actually meant to reflect, right? And you have to constantly learn. And you might say, well, I hold this is true today, right? Uh, when I'm 20, and at, by the age of 50, I've changed my position, right? And it's not a problem to change my position because I've learned something and I've changed my position, right? Now that becomes a strength, right? Work experience becomes a strength because of this idea of what you learn out of the work, what you learn out of dealing with a particular kind of job, right? What do you learn in, as a teacher? Suppose you're going for a teacher job, you taught kindergarten students, right? You didn't have any experience, you didn't have any certificates, you taught somebody something, right? What have you learned from that? Yeah, so that's important, right? It's not that the teacher doesn't learn as they go along, right? But the teacher doesn't learn if they don't think, right? If students don't interact with them, right? Good teachers make good students. The same thing is about uh, uh, good students make good teachers, right? If there's no interaction, right? And if it's this kind of a lecture where I just go on speaking and nobody speaks back, right? Nobody reads and nobody thinks. That's why our universities are in a mess, right? Yeah, because we don't get, we teach students to shut up, right? And the students have their own wealth with them, right? Now that's a problem about, this is an organizational problem, right? And if we actually have to deal with it, we have to have a, a classroom where everybody talks, right? And that's why we have something called the input discussion uh, and the personal interview, right? Because unless we learn to talk, especially as art students, right? Art students, language students, we have to talk, right? And unless we talk, unless we discuss ideas, unless we have a conflict of ideas, we can't get anything, right? Yeah, so when we're talking about work experience, whether you take a teacher's job and working as a teacher, right? Or you take a sweeper's job and talking about sweeping, right? Yeah, uh, these are important things, right? Because in the lockdown, I, I did a lot of cooking. I did a lot of sweeping and swabbing of the house, right? And I learned a lot from that, right? And what do you learn from all that, right? And if you're a trained mind, you'll keep learning from everything, right? So the question is, are you going to be a lifelong learner or not, right? And if you're not, uh, well, you can hang around in a job and don't learn anything at all. I don't believe, me personally, I don't believe that anybody can be like that, right? Yeah, because I had a lecture from uh, a Hemingway scholar called yeah, we had a discussion actually by a, a person called Earl Robert, right? And Earl Robert said, well, there's some lectures which were an absolute failure, right? And he was very, very old, right? I don't know if he's alive, right? 
and he said a lot of people uh, it doesn't make anything uh, any difference to the student right yeah now I don't believe that right because I think that even a little bit and this is what I got from one of my teachers called Professor Gokhale right who was my mentor guide also right and uh, he said once uh, in his class I stayed out I met missed only two lectures of him because uh, it was very important to the structure of the English language I stayed outside his class and I, that was at the end of the year because I didn't know that he was going to have a class for some reason uh, or it was not communicated to us whatever that is right so I said I'm sorry I didn't come into the class because I was late and I would disturb the class and I was late by about 5 minutes right so he said no even if you come 5 minutes before the end of the class it's good enough because at least you get those 5 minutes and you can think about it, right yeah so Uh, the idea is i don't think anybody can go through a job without learning anything unless they severely handicapped right mentally handicapped right and many people probably are today right that's another way of looking at it right that is if you have been abused very badly in childhood right or if you have been abused as a muslim or a dalit or anything of the sort right and you've got a lot of prejudice right you may never be able to uh, outgrow the prejudice which also i think is difficult right uh, it's difficult for me to believe because some amount of prejudice you might have right and uh, education is supposed to remove our prejudice right yeah and if you if you really supposed to be educated we should be open to say what is different about everything else right so education and if we are really going to be educated as ba students or ma students or anything of the sort right or science students and education is not only about uh, going and learning skills right it's about how do we actually deal with other people right yeah and how do we get rid of our prejudices right yeah so uh, that's something important right we have caste prejudices in india we have religious prejudices in india uh, we have prejudices about people being upper class and Uh, lower class right we have a lot of prejudices right and in this 3 years or 5 years or whatever you take in a university how much this is a swot analysis actually right how much of how uh, are you less prejudiced right or have your prejudices grown right so that's something to check for us as human beings right so can i check and see well uh, i was a casteist like for instance in my own example i never used to drink tea right because i was brought up in a brahmanical family right and we thought all the all the restaurants the poor people over there okay and we had all these ideas of disease and all those kind of things so when i was i moved from the 10th standard level all my classmates would go and have tea right and i was in a group uh, where we didn't have a place to meet so we used to meet at a chai shop and that time chai shops uh we're not like this the, the corner irani shops right so you can go and have tea the whole day right yeah and uh, that's what we used to do and somebody used to order cups of tea and then we used to have a chat right now i wouldn't even touch a cup of tea because i had this whole thing of clean and dirty and all those kind of things right and of course that's that's something that i grew out of uh, eventually right and a lot of my studies were in chai shops later right because i didn't have uh, any place to sit i used to sit in the chai shop and even when i was doing my phd i was given a carol and all this kind of things but uh what happened is 
they put some furniture in the restructuring the library. So I had to take my books out, right? So I found the best place to sit was in the canteen, drinking cups of tea, right? Yeah. So the question is, uh, can we outgrow our prejudice, whether it's caste or whether it's